and welcome to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast, where we discuss different but likely scenarios, provide general legal information, and get to know our lawyers. Please note that this podcast series does not provide or intends to provide legal advice. Good afternoon and welcome to Corny and Lint's podcast for the week. I'm Barry Klopper, senior lawyer at Corny and Lint Lawyers. And I'm Hongi, a senior lawyer who's um, actually just joined the firm um, and and the litigation team along with Barry. Yeah, welcome Hongi. We're happy to have you along and uh, welcome to your first week at Corny and Lint and we've thrown you in the deep end and... uh, we're going to be talking about our usual topic today, which is everything coronavirus and uh, updating our loyal listeners on some of the great things which have happened this week. Um, I'm going to be starting off today. I'll be talking about some legislation that was passed by the Queensland Parliament on Wednesday. And Hongi is going to be talking about the topic of the week, which is the JobKeeper payments, um, which is a very exciting area and a very developing area. Okay, so I'll start off this afternoon and um, we'll go straight into it and we'll talk about Wednesday. So on Wednesday, the Queensland Parliament introduced the COVID-19 Emergency Response Bill 2020. It was a bit of a rushed session, session, so they only got the legislation published on Tuesday afternoon, which didn't give people much time to consider it. And on Wednesday afternoon and evening, they were debating it. And on Wednesday evening, the bill was passed. It's a very interesting bill and it's probably reflective of our times with coronavirus. So what the bill does in a nutshell is it gives the Queensland government a large amount of regulatory power to establish regulations which affect a number of acts. So what that means is in layman's terms, regulations are kind of like rules. So they're not actual acts, they're called subordinate legislation, but they're rules that can affect the way an act works. And that's really important because they don't necessarily need to be debated before Parliament and passed as acts. They are rules which the government can make on the fly in a hurry and based on the fact that they have to respond to COVID-19, it actually fits in really well within that framework. So Mm -hmm. what are the things that the government can make rules about? There are a number of things under that bill, but the ones I really want to focus on today would be three main things. One of them is regulations in relation to residential tenancies. The the second one is in relation to commercial tenancies. And the third one is the establishment of a small business commissioner. There's also part of that bill which it relates to extending timelines under the statute of limitations and timelines for certain actions. We're not going to focus too much on that today because most of our clients out there, most of our potential clients and our listeners are more interested in tenancies and how this bill is going to affect them moving forward. Mm. Having said that, I just wanted to tell all our landlords and all our tenants out there that we understand this is a really tough time for you all and we're here to help you. We're giving a lot of advice. I have this week spoken to lots of tenants and lots of landlords, and we're working together to work out a way 
forward. And that's where this new legislation comes in. So the new legislation gives the Queensland government power to make rules in relation to tenancies. And today we're going to talk about the code of conduct, which is going to apply. Now I must stress, and I think Hongi will back me up on this, I don't think, Hongi, that there's any regulations or rules that have been released as of this afternoon on Friday. Is that correct? Yes, not as of yet. Um, there was a s sitting held uh, in the Queensland Parliament just a couple of days ago on the 22nd. Um, and we anticipated that to come up with um, some uh, implementations of, of the code into Queensland. Um, but we haven't seen any updates um, from the parliament as of yet. Okay, great. So what we have to go on then is the National Cabinet Mandatory Code of Conduct for Commercial Tenancies, which was introduced by the National Cabinet a couple of weeks ago. And states will no doubt follow this code pretty carefully when they implement their own rules in relation to the code that applies in, would apply in Queensland. So we're going to run through that quickly this afternoon. Um, so for the tenants out there, you can, and the landlords, you know what you need to be or what you will be complying with in the future as soon as these regulations are made. And of course, we'll update you at that time. So mm -hmm. talking about the code, Hongi, you've got some questions about the code that you want to ask me about. So let's go for it. Yes. Yeah, so I have um, a set of questions that will be uh, coming mostly from the landlord's perspective. Um, and then we'll uh, lead on to... Um, some questions that a lot of our uh, uh, tenant listeners might have. Okay, so um, first things first, uh, what exactly is the code? I think you've given a brief um, sort of short on, on what, the, what the code is, um, but could you sort of just reintroduce what the code really is? Sure, no worries. So the code is basically a set of rules that will apply to negotiations between a landlord and a tenant. The objective of the code is really for the tenant and the landlord to share in a proportionate measured manner the financial risk and cash flow impacts that have come from coronavirus. So it's basically a set of rules that you have to comply with when you're sitting down and it's something that both parties can use to work out an agreement around. So it's a set of overarching principles for the agreement. And one of the most important things is that people need to be sitting down and negotiating in a just and a fair manner. And that's something that people need to bear in mind. These are tough times. We need to be working together. So it facilitates that working together arrangement. Mm -hmm. um, and is it really mandatory? And uh, what are my rights and obligations as a landlord? Is the code mandatory? It's not mandatory for everyone. It mainly applies to people who have a turnover of less than $50 million dollars and are classified as small to medium enterprises, and they need to qualify, the tenant needs to qualify for the JobKeeper program, which you will be elaborating on later in this podcast. So, yes. Yep, you'll be going through that later on. So it, it, it's not mandatory for everyone. You do need to meet certain criteria. Bearing in mind, Queensland could put its own spin on this, but I'm sure they'd probably follow that lower than $50 million rule anyway. And yeah. eligible for JobKeeper. So for people who are eligible for JobKeeper, in a nutshell, that basically means you have lost more than 30% of your turnover due to coronavirus impacts. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely be have to be keeping um, on top of uh, how Queensland exactly codifies these and uh, what their sort of different spin on this would be. Mm -hmm. 
And next question, uh, when do I need to offer a rent reduction and for how long for the tenant? Okay, this is uh, where tenants and landlords need to work together. The code, most legislation is being retrospective. So any regulations that are made under the COVID emergency response bill, which was passed on Wednesday, can go as far back as the 19th of March, 2020. So... From that perspective, I would say that it would apply to any rental in the March month, in the month of March, moving forward. And at the moment, under the COVID-19 emergency response bill, all regulations have an end date of the 31st of December 2020. Now, that could be extended, but for the, the codes, I would recommend, I, well, I'm guessing, that they would apply anywhere from March to this stage, September, possibly up to December. It all depends on the turnover of your tenant as well. So once your tenant's turnover starts increasing when restric restrictions are relaxed and businesses can open back up, as soon as their turnover starts to increase above that 30% threshold, so in other words, they've lost less than 30% and they no longer would qualify for JobKeeper, then there's an argument there that you don't need to defer or waive rent for that period. Just on that note, there is a difference between deferring and waiving rent. So under the code that currently sits under the National Cabinet's code, you have an automatic right to a 50% waiver of your rental. So what that means with a waiver is that the tenant doesn't have to pay that at any stage. So you automatically get a 50% waiver, and that is non-recoverable from a landlord, landlord's perspective. That's important to note. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yep. what what I'm hearing is um, uh, basically uh, a situation that landlords could see as uh, more favorable for the tenants um, since, first of all, um, especially they can't kick them out and um, they are sort of forced to uh, provide unrecoverable uh, rent incentives for the tenants. So um, just... Uh, uh, as a, as, a, as a next question, um, how do I recover rent from the tenant eventually? Um, and especially uh, if they're being non-communicative or uncooperative? That is a great question, Hongi. Okay, so if they're entitled to a 50% waiver, you can't recover that rent. Let's make that clear. Mm -hmm. The remaining rent, if you, you, you can choose a couple of options. You might have, for example, a cafe or a gym that's had to close their doors and there's no income. So in that case, remember, you've got to refer back to the, the concept of proportionality, which is they want it to be a bearing of equal proportions to the loss. So if your tenant has lost 100% of their income, then arguably they're entitled to a 100% waiver of their rent, or at least a 50% waiver and a 50% deferral. So in answer to your question, you can waive rent, a portion of the rent, and defer another portion of the rent. Under the mandatory code of conduct, you can defer, defer a portion of the rent for up to 24 months from that date that you choose to defer it. I see. Yeah, which is quite a long time. So you That's can, a long, long time. Yep. Yes, you can. And people will say, what happens if my lease is terminated, is terminating prior to the 24 months? Well, they can extend that lease via an agreement I see. and claim the deferral back that way. So it's once again, it's all about negotiation. The tenant obviously has to be forthcoming in how yep. much turnover they've lost. You're going yep. to need to provide evidence of that. Yep. The negotiation needs to be in good faith. So you don't want to be misleading the landlord or the landlord misleading the tenant. 
It's mm. open, transparent, and any loss of income is therefore proportioned. Mm-hmm. So you need to you need to have a look at that. It's definitely a 50% waiver under the national. Remember, Queensland could change the rules, but as an outline, it's a 50% waiver, and then uh, you can choose to defer rent as well. However, as as business starts to come back and improve, um, you can go back to paying normal rent as soon as you can afford it. So what you need to be doing is reviewing your agreement with the landlord on a monthly basis. It seems like the, the, the there's potentially going to be a floodgate of people who who come out of this situation who are under a commercial leasing contract who aren't going to be very happy um, essentially because they're, they're required to sort of negotiate on on their own behalf and it's it's strange and uncertain times the provision for good faith uh, can some to me it just seems like that can that can be quite dubious you know because mm. um, what is what is good faith in the, at the end of the day really right yeah. Uh, so I yeah. think it, it makes it that much more important for you to be able to know where you stand in terms of this law and for you to understand um, what your rights in that regard and to consult your professionals before you um, before you consult consult your tenant or your landlord, really. Um, and to um, especially in situations where you put put things down in writing. So um I guess that's where people like us come in for support, um, you know, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see more of the developments in this area, especially when when it gets officially codified in each state, um, particularly for us in Queensland. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. What you should do is go into the meeting with an agenda, cross off some points you need to discuss. There's other points around rental freezes, outgoings. It's actually quite a complicated area to be discussing. So I would take your advice then and seek legal advice prior to entering into any negotiations. And as a minimum, every agreement that you reach should be in writing and signed by both parties because these agreements might run for six months up to 24 months. So you should you need to have them in writing. You need to mm-hmm. have them properly signed off so that it's a it's a clear understanding. The last thing you want is a dispute arising out of the six months down the track, which could have been avoided if you documented your agreement properly and parties understood what they were agreeing to. That's so exactly that, right. Yeah. If you can't reach an agreement, just one other point in that, Hongi, there is a mediation which will be binding uh, on the parties. So if you can't come to an agreement, mediation is an option for you. That will probably be done in Queensland coming from the Small Business Commissioner, which is a new role established under the COVID-19 response bill. I can see a role there for the Small Business Commissioner in negotiating these these changes to the leases, these agreements that are reached, mediating them. So I can see that as a huge part of the role they're going to play. And the fact that they've introduced that in the legislation would suggest that that will definitely be recorded in the rules. Um, I'd say that's 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 going to be a must. And I think I think a point of emphasis there is the fact that it's binding mediation. You know, so I guess that's going to reduce some of the traffic that's that's going to come along with this with the floodgate of litigation later later down the track. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's important to bear in mind that um, whatever decision that comes out of these mediations are going to be binding. Um, and that's 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 absolutely included in the code. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. So watch this space. I'll just quickly touch on residential tenancies. 
Look, yep. there's a lot of information on the RTA with respect to this. What I will tell you from what we've been advising is um, residential tenants, obviously, there's a moratorium on evictions. That is absolute. You cannot evict the tenant. Once again, it should be that it's a similar principle to the commercial tenancies. You need to be entering into negotiations. The, um, the tenant will have to prove that they've suffered financial hardship as a result of COVID-19 if they're asking for a rent reduction or a rent waiver. Same story, agreements should be put into place that are in writing. You should seek legal advice prior to entering into any negotiations. And um, inspections at the moment of properties don't necessarily need to go ahead. If you do have concerns around coronavirus, they can be suspended or postponed from the tenant's point of view. So that's important to note. But the main thing to note with residential tenancies is to keep that dialogue open between you and the property manager. Make sure that you're keeping them informed of any hardship that you're suffering. And if you are experiencing difficulties paying rent, you need to be upfront and talk about that. And if you need our help, we're here to help. And that goes from the landlord's perspective as well. If you think the tenant is unfairly taking advantage of the situation, we're here to give you some advice on that as well. And bear in mind, the Queensland Government will be putting out a code shortly around this as well. So over to you, Hongi. Let's talk about some of the job keepers. I know that's what people are also hanging out to. So over to you. Thank you. Um, thank you for those comforting words, Barry. Um, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are going to find some um, reassurance and solace in, in our ability to provide assistance. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, going to be talking about the JobKeeper scheme that's been introduced earlier in the month. I'm going to be hosting a webinar next Wednesday um, on the 29th of April with uh, the director of our team or the manager of our team. Um, you can find the link on our website register and, and register there to have a listen. Um, it's going to be particularly focused on uh, um, not-for-profits or, or more particularly churches um, or even charitable organizations. So make sure um, for our listeners that you listen in if, if this is relevant to your situation and you have some questions that might be, um, that relate to the JobKeeper scheme that might be particular to your um, situation as a church or a charity or a not-for-profit. Okay, so um, yeah, I, I uh, would like to, um, you have some questions for me, Barry? Yeah, look, yeah. the JobKeeper, everyone's talking about it. First of all, yeah. if, if, I'm a, if I'm a commercial business, can I still attend the webinar on Wednesday? Would you recommend that? I would definitely recommend you attend um, right. uh, the, the webinar, it, whether you're a um, charitable organization or whether you're a business. Um, right. it's, it's, it's sort of uh, uh, a, it's a webinar that's um, going to cover all grounds of the JobKeeper scheme. Um, and we're going to have a Q&A session at the end of it as well. So if you are a business and have um, questions that are relevant to, uh, uh, more relevant to your uh, particular business situation um, in, the, in your context, then uh, we're happy to answer those, those questions as, as far as we possibly can um, at the end of the webinar. So. Um, any business what uh, any business owners uh, you're welcome to listen in as well right okay so yep. in a nutshell what is jobkeeper Hongi? tell me tell me what it is it's a um, I'm sure people have heard about this a lot because um, it's it's something that's going to be relevant for everyone's situation I imagine 
Um, it's a wage subsidy program to help employers um, basically retain staff, hence the name JobKeeper. Um, it is um, paid directly to employers and applies from the 30th of March to 20, uh, 30th of March 2020 until 27th of September 2020. That's 13 fortnights. Um, the scheme enables eligible employers to receive $1,500 um, before tax per fortnight uh, for every eligible employee. Um, and so that amounts to um, up to uh, $19,500 per employee. Um, and you apply for it over, um, it seems like most people are doing it over uh, uh, the ATO website. Um, you check your eligibility as an employer. Um, again, it's through the employer and it's paid to the employer. So it's the employer who goes in and applies for it. Um, ascertain eligible employees, register, and um, then they'll go over the checks and balances and uh, the employees get paid $1,500 each fortnight. Okay, he has a question about the $1,500. So if I'm a business and I'm employing casuals, not all of our casuals earn $1,500 a fortnight because they just simply don't do the hours to get that up. But they are long-term casuals. So in other words, they've been with us longer than 12 months. So they meet that eligibility criteria, but they don't get $1,500 a fortnight. How, how do we handle that? Great question, Barry. Um, so uh, I'll first of all just walk through uh, the basic eligible criteria criteria for all employees. Uh, first of all, you have to be a full-time or part-time employee um, ordinarily uh, as at 1st of March 2020. Um, they can include stood down or rehired ones too. Um, you've got to be over 16 years of age and you have to be residing in Australia or a permanent as or as a permanent resident or an Australian citizen or you can be um, a special category visa holder, subclass 444. Basically, that's that's really talking about our folks over in New Zealand. Um, now, in terms of casual employees, uh, ordinarily casual employees won't be included, but um, that's only unless you're a long-term casual employee. That is, um, you've been employed at that particular employment for at least 12 months, um, as at 1st of March 2020. So there is a bit of an exemption there. Um, now to just just to touch briefly on uh, what an employee, uh, what a uh, eligible employee isn't, is um, if you're uh, in receipt of the JobKeeper payment from another employer, um, that is in situations where you'd be eligible from two different employers. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're in receipt of parental leave by the Australian government in a fortnight or you have paid dad or partner pay, mm -hmm. uh, or if you're on work cover payment benefits for total incapacity, um, basically uh, if, you're, if you're incapacitated to work at all and you're receiving work cover uh, benefits, mm -hmm. um, and if you're a long-term casual employee, uh, who's under the employment of another entity. Um, that is if you're a, that, that also includes people who are permanent part-time somewhere else um, that, that you, can, you can't claim. Right, right. So okay. those, those are some of the basic criteria laid out for employees. Mm -hmm. 
So what happens if my employee doesn't earn, the casual doesn't earn $1,500 a fortnight? Are they still eligible? Well, you've got to bear in mind that um, uh, it, 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 well, first of all, the basic criteria is that you have to be a long-term casual employee, right? So as long as you're on uh, 12 months, yep. um, then you're safe. But right. okay. another, another thing to be wary of is something called the wage condition. So under rule 10 of the JobKeeper scheme rules, um, there's something called the uh, uh, the wage condition where essentially you have to meet um, a $1,500 minimum threshold um, fortnightly income. Mm -hmm. So um, within a given fortnight, um, including um, most allowances, uh, your um, income has to amount to at least uh, $1,500 to meet the wage condition, and that's $1,500 again before tax. Right. So in other words, the employer would have to top me up to $1,500 so I could meet that threshold and then apply for JobKeeper. That's exactly right. Yes. Right. And um, it's very important to bear in mind that that does include most um, allowances. It's it, the, the, the wage condition set out in the rules is quite, um, is, is quite all-encompassing. Mm -hmm. um, but there can be some confusion around the wording and, and sometimes um, the allowances can be quite unique to different sort of employment situations. So if you have any uncertainty in that regard, it's, it's, it's very important, again, to consult a professional about it and um, perhaps to get them to read through the legislation in a little more detail to clarify your situation. Yeah, look, you explained that it's $19,000 roughly per employee for the period. So you don't want to be after six months having the ATO knock on your door and say, excuse me, uh, you owe me a rebate <laughs> for the $19,000. You, you want to be getting this right. That's that's exactly right. Um, it's very important to get this right as well because there are um, provisions against uh, contrived schemes. So if you don't get it right, like... Um, like uh, Barry's mentioned, uh, there are going to be some um, uh, tax implications as well as potential penalties that apply. Right. We've got enough stress at the moment. We don't need more of it. So, yes. Okay. <laughs> I take That's that exactly point. right. Can you, Hongi, can you just outline briefly some of the tests from an employer's perspective? And I, I know the tests are complicated, um, so I don't want to lead you in on this question. But mm -hmm. just briefly, what does the employer need to meet to uh, make sure they qualify? Okay, so um, again, as as at the first uh, of March, um, the employer has to have been carrying on business in Australia, or um, alternatively, was a non-profit body that pursued its objectives principally in Australia. Now, we're not going to go into too much of the intricacies that about what makes um, a, a a not not for profit body pursuing its objectives principally in Australia. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the, that's the first criteria to meet as an employer. Um, the second criteria is to satisfy the, the decline in turnover test. Right. Um, and the ordinarily um, the normal criteria for the turnover test is thirty percent fall in turnover for business with aggregated turnover of um, for for businesses with an aggravated turnover of under a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. um, 50% fall in turnover for business with aggregated turnover of over $1 billion. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, um, for uh, ACNC registered charities, mm -hmm. other than universities and schools, it's 15% uh, fall in turnover. Right. So um, most businesses are going to fall under the 30% category. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for for uh, charities and such, it's it's it's, it's a lower it's a oh. lower threshold, which is 15%. Okay. Um, it's another a thing to bear in mind um, is that universities are actually defined quite narrowly. So those are um, universities that are included under um, and included and listed under Higher Education Support Act. Um, so uh, that's another thing to note um, because there's there's some confusion around how this applies to schools and universities as well. Um, so yeah yeah no okay look that all sounds that sounds really good thank you for outlining that i'm sure there's a lot more questions out there in regards to JobKeeper. so what i will say is absolutely tune in next wednesday the 29th of april you'll have james tan and uh, a wonderful hongi han with you to go through some really complicated questions on JobKeeper. So I'm going to save you from all those complica complicated questions now, Hongi. Um, Sorry, just one more thing. Yep. Just one more thing to note um, for next Wednesday. Um, we're aware that um, there's there's ordinarily the business, the, the, the uh, decline in turnover period comparisons. Mm -hmm. um, so basically the question is, uh, in terms of proving the decline in, in turnover for my business, mm -hmm. um, what what period comparisons would I have to make um, mm -hmm. between which fortnight, right? Um, and there are ordinarily the comparisons provided in a table in the rules, um, but for there are there are definitely going to be those businesses where the turnover period doesn't apply, right? Yep. And um, the government has actually just passed legislation yesterday. Um, that's the 23rd of April for yep. an alternative test for um, decline in turnover right. to determine eligibility for the JobKeeper payment. Yep. And that's going to be enacted from the 24th of April, um, which is today. Which is today. So there we go. Yep. We're advising on legislation today. Yeah, Hongi, I understand that those alternative tests apply to businesses that are, for example, have only just started up. So they weren't That's tracking right. last year in the March quarter. Uh, they're affected by drought is another example. Uh, you know, right. there's lots out there. They have uh, cyclical turnover or erratic turnover, or they've sold a, a, a piece of equipment in the meantime that has increased their profits. There's a whole heap of gray areas around there. And I, I don't envy you because it's a tough task to advise on, I'm sure. Yes, well, it's it's besides the fact that it's just been in, introduced, it's uh, there are going to um, be some complications in terms of interpreting the actual legislation as well as calculating um, what the turnovers are going to be and what's going to be considered and what's not. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I, I imagine there might also be um, problems with evidence, um, considering a lot of uh, businesses might have actually um, business premises might have been damaged. Oh, um, fires. You're talking about the bushfires. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting area to look look around. So I'm very excited to um, delve a little more deeply into it. And that's where we come in to give you guys advice at listening out there. So, uh, yeah, look, that's um, all we have time for today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Hongi, as well. It's been a pleasure doing my first podcast with you. 
Thank Absolutely. You so Thank you, Barry. It's been a pleasure. No worries. And guys, just for the reference, uh, Hongi and I are both sitting at home right now where we have been for the whole week. So uh, this has been a little bit more difficult this afternoon, but thank you for your patience, Hongi, and thank you for everyone else's patience. Keep safe, look after yourselves. Remember, Connie and Lint, we're all here for you. And uh, we wish you guys all the best moving forward with your businesses or whatever situation that you're in. And we all pray for you and we look after yourselves and more. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter. If you require specific legal advice for your situation, contact us directly on 07-3252-0011 or go to www.cornyandlind.com.au forward slash contact.